Florida Basketball Podcast is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, rewards, and athletes receive a majority of revenue from sales of their collectibles. That's the way that NIL is supposed to work. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's G-A-T-A-V-E-R-S-E dot I-O. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, we'll break down a couple of Florida dubs. Uh, the Gators beat a couple of the bottom-feeding teams in the SEC, obviously Cellar Dweller, uh, Missouri, and then Vanderbilt, who uh, I think is in 13th. They might be in 12th. I don't know. Florida wins both these games pretty comfortably at home. Um, at least the Vanderbilt game was very comfortable. The Missouri game, uh, the Gators – pull away late, win by nine. Obviously, it was a little dicey in the second half. The Gators never trailed, though. So, like, maybe some pushback against the notion that that this was super uh, scary for Florida. Certainly, Missouri cut it to one uh, on two different occasions. And it was, you know, a one-possession game. Uh, some in the last ten minutes. That's sort of been Missouri's MO, though. Like, it isn't as if this Missouri team hasn't been terribly competitive at times. Uh, <clears throat> they have been competitive. They just have not won any close games at all. Uh, a total reversion from last year where it seemed like every time Missouri had a close game, uh, they were able to, to come up with it. Um, Ty Golden talked a lot about the adversity uh, on the floor. And I thought uh, in the Missouri game in particular, um, you know, it was tough. It was tough for Florida uh, because Walter Clayton fouled out with over 10 minutes to go, which that almost never happens in college basketball. I mean, it is outside of like, well, that almost never happens with a player that's like a highly skilled guard in college basketball. Like you normally if a guy fouls out with 10 plus minutes to go, it's like a big man who has incredible trouble staying on the floor without fouling or like a Jason Jatobo character where like any bump becomes a foul and your reputation kind of follows you around. Like it's almost never a Walter Clayton type situation. So, you know, as, as we welcome in Eric Fawcett, I thought um, Florida didn't play very well last night, but I do kind of respect the fact that the Gators found a way to avoid what would have been a really soul crushing two seed line defeat um, in a game where Walter Clayton wasn't on the floor for the last 11 minutes. I mean, that I think is to Florida's credit and uh, shouldn't get lost in, in the negatives. Uh, yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things where I, I feel like Florida's talent won out once again, it's like, they take one one player out of the game and, and Walter Clayton, and it's like, okay, well, Zion Pullen is still better than anyone on Missouri's roster, in my opinion. And Tyree Samuel is someone who um, maybe isn't consistently um, better than necessarily everyone on Missouri's roster, but like has shown um, in multiple games that he can be. And of course, this is is, is arguably his best game as a Gator, um, and it came in one that uh, that 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 things really where the Gators really needed them. Needed him, and and again, I think um, before the first meeting, I I had pointed out that I was like, this should be a matchup where where Tyree Samuel just feasts. Um, like this this game was exactly what I uh, envisioned when I said that because it was like Noah Carter guarding him, who's like six foot six, and he kind of had that like dad playing on the driveway with his son where he just like turned and hit a hook shot where he like his feet barely left the ground because he didn't need to. He had one of those. Um, he got a he had a switch where he just like extended and finger rolled over a guard. I don't remember which one it was. Um, and then uh, there was times where with with Connor Vanover, um, again he just lowered a shoulder, knocked Vanover off the spot, and and finished. It's, it just is like there's there's just no one um, built to match up with him on on Missouri's roster. And um, yeah, so it was kind of like this is the the 
performance I expected from him the first game. Um, it came in this one. And uh, yeah, it's just like, it was, it was just another game, honestly, where I, I just like, it just once again showed me that the Gators are just absolutely loaded with talent when they can lose a guard like Walter Clayton, still have the best guard on the floor. Um, and then you even factor in that um, they still might have the two best players on the floor with Tari Samuel. Um, of course, you know, especially when he's playing like that. So um, yeah, I think the thing that um, it's, it's, it, yeah, you like, I, I, I'm glad you can look at the positives because it's it is pretty easy to look at like oh once again the Gators struggle against a zone and once again they do um, let a, a a double digit or close to a double digit maybe it was nine points only in the in the second half um, when they let that kind of uh, kind of crumble and and again it wasn't like it was one kind of run it was just kind of a a, a slow trickle to the point where then it was close um, but yeah I, I I do think like when you see a game that was like one possession with two minutes left and the Gators win by nine. And just like, it's just like, was an explosion of like, okay, the best players on the floor are now going to take over. So um, something, something to, I, something to be said there about, again, just Florida's raw talent and the fact that they can withstand one of the better players fouling out with like 14 minutes left. Um, but uh, yeah, at the same time, if you wanted to look at some of the, the regular concerns, um, they were certainly there. Yeah. Dennis Gates complimented Florida's ball movement, which I thought, um, I thought was really good late in particular. Um, and on a couple of the Zion pulling threes, uh, really, really excellent, just extra pass to get ZP open and not something that Florida did a tremendous job of early in the year, like outside of Zion pulling, like we'd have games where Zion would have maybe four or five, six assists and like Florida would have 10. Um, so I think Florida has improved in terms of its ability to move the ball and, like, you're seeing coaches now shifting away a little bit at least from the, like, yeah, Florida's guards are just so awesome to, like, actually pointing out other things that Florida <laughs> does well. And, like, if you read between the lines, as I think we've talked about on this podcast, um, it it grows from we think we run better stuff reading between the lines to, like, hey, we might run better stuff, but, you know, what they do run, they're, they're doing well, they're sharing it, they're taking care of the ball. Um, and that was huge last night for Florida because, uh, as you mentioned, they certainly struggled with the zone for for a few minutes um, at least when uh, <clears throat> Missouri initially got into it. I say the zone collectively. Obviously, Missouri changed zones, I think. They played two different ones. They changed defenses a bunch of times. Just throwing junk defenses at Florida has seemed to be pretty effective against these skaters. Um and then the other thing Florida got back to last night, because, you know, I liked the fact that Florida was eventually able to sort of move the ball and, and break down the zone and pile up the assist numbers. But the other thing was Florida got back to just being Florida on the glass, 40 points, 22 rebounds from uh, Micah Hanlockton and Tyree Samuel. Um, the Gators had 13 offensive rebounds, so they were plus six in offensive rebounds. First time they were over plus five. In, in offensive rebounding in the last five games. So they're getting a little back, bit back to that after after Todd Golden said it would be a point of emphasis to to kind of make sure that they were crashing better again. Well, and and again, I just – like they need to. Like, again, you, you look at Florida's poor zone numbers this year yep. and poor zone numbers against Missouri, and it's like there was like – I think their first three baskets against the zone run offensive rebounds. And to some extent, like, Hey, if you're going to play zone, like that's just something you live with against most teams, um, especially against Florida. So like I, I, I discount it and I don't because at some point it's like, Hey, the, the points per possession matters no matter how you get it. But it's also like, there was some poor possessions. I thought that were, I, I will use the term bailed out by offensive rebounding where someone could also push back on that and say like, well, it's, um, they, they, the game is basketball and offensive rebounding is a part of it. So it doesn't matter how it matters, how many. So um, you can take from it what you, what you, what you like, but uh, the fact of the matter is, yeah, when the Gators uh, struggle offensively, which in the half court, which they've shown to do on multiple occasions, their offensive rebounding is something that can, uh, can, can save the day. And, and it's something that I would say continue to continues to just raise their floor. Um, it, it just, it, it's, it's just hard to imagine the Gators, going truly ice cold offensively because even when they miss shots, if they're getting 40% of their offensive rebounds, um, that's fantastic. And then it also just broke in such a way that like when Micah Hanlockton, like 
it's like how many uncontested layups did he have on putbacks? Like it's, it wasn't even just that he, like they were getting second chance opportunities. They were turning into uncontested, like, you know, shots that I'd have to imagine are 1.9 points per possession because they're uncontested putback offensive rebounds. So like they were like not only offensive rebounds, but like high value offensive rebounds. It wasn't like just like tip outs that were like going into the backcourt and reset. So, and you saw that with Mike Hamilton's point total. So um, yeah, that was uh that was definitely a differentiating um, factor in a game that was, that was pretty close. And, and, and again, I, I like, that's kind of where I see, Florida down the stretch here is I think it's an ISO slash pick and roll to get guards into semi-isolation situations and everyone crashes the glass. Like that is yep. the the best recipe that the Gators have to win. We have a pretty good sample size of that now. And uh, it's, it's I, I, I keep kind of questioning to myself how much uh, the zone problems matter because when you look at the SEC and when you look at even – um, high major basketball on the whole, like it's not the teams at the top of the leagues that are playing zone right now. It's usually the teams at the bottom. So it's even one of those things where like, it, it, well, again, we'll see exactly what kind of seed the Gators get, but um, let's say they're a five seed um, or a six seed. Um, the teams in, in, in the range of who they're playing are probably not zone teams. Um, the teams in the, the SEC tournament they're going to run into, um, maybe they get a zone team um, that will mix it in, in 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 the first round, but it's like in the, the the biggest games of the year. I don't know if the Gators are going to see zone unless a team um, sees how bad the Gators are against it and um, says, "Oh, this is maybe something we need to to mix in." But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's. I feel like the Gators will see man to man defense in their biggest games of the season this year. Um, and for all the times I've talked about their struggles against zone, I, I'm not sure it's going to matter in, in the biggest games necessarily. And uh, I, I still think it's going to be a let the two guards cook and let your offensive rebounders pick up the trash. Um, so uh, yeah, so that was that was the case against Missouri, even when it was uh, not two guards on the floor, unfortunately, um, to do that. Uh, but the the offensive rebounding was certainly there. Yeah, man. I just think right now in an age in basketball where offense is so good. Um, you know, well, I mean, and this, I, I actually think this is true in, in college and I'm totally interested in, I wouldn't bring this up on the show with Eric if I didn't genuinely believe that, that Eric would have a, a take of value on this, but, but I, I look, I think offense, offense is so good these days, um, especially in the NBA, we're seeing it. But the other thing about offense being very good is that the rule changes in college, uh, whether it's really enforcing these freedom of movement rules or the modified charge block rule, like they've made life harder on defenses. So to me, like the two biggest things that matter, and this could lead to a whole different discussion about Riley Kugel that I don't know if we need to have now or whenever, but, um, you know, the two biggest things to me right now are, can you get your own misses when you miss and can you limit turnovers? like turnover percentage, offensive rebounding rate. And I understand if you were going to be analytically picky, you might point at like Texas A&M and say, well, that's not true. Like Buzz Williams runs pretty good stuff and they get a ton of their own misses and they don't turn the ball over. And it's like, and look at them. They're, they've fallen off the bubble. Well, I think you have to have somebody that can shoot naturally. <laughs> and they have no one outside of Boots Radford that can make a shot. Um, like Wade Taylor is not a good shooter. Uh, and you know, so there's some problems there, but with Florida, like for this team to reach its maximum potential in March, it's gotta be like, go get your misses. Don't turn the ball over. And as long as Florida does that, uh, you know, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. A lot of nights now, Florida, you know, they had 11 turnovers last night and I don't think that they were thrilled with the way that they played and protected the ball compared to how they have been doing that, especially against Missouri, who's not really pressuring Florida into turnovers. Um, but, you know, how do you offset that? And how do you offset struggling against a zone when you grade out at, on synergy as like below average against a zone with 0.88 points per possession and you're a 0.98 PPP basketball team? Um, you know, you get your own misses, Eric. Yeah, like one of my my I guess hottest analytics takes relative to 
people that are into analytics and it's, it's, it's come up on the show for years. Um, I, I, I think turnovers are overrated. Um, I think turnover rate is even under or sorry, overrated. Um, I, I just think it's, it's, it's too broad a brush. And again, I look at the difference between good and great teams that are like, they're, they're, the difference in how much they turn the ball over, like good or great in terms of turnovers being like one or two a game. Um, and the fact that that's, um, you know, the expected value or loss of value by turning the ball over two more times than you should fuck better term. Um, but then you look at rebounding where the difference between a good offensive rebounding team and a poor one is like what amounts to seven or eight more second chance opportunities a game. And the expected value from that, like I, I think, I think rebounding is so underrated, and it's, 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 it's shocking to me that coaches don't realize it. And uh, yeah, again, it's just, it's just one of those things where, like, you look at, you look at Florida in, in uh, like this season. Um, could you imagine if they had seven or eight less offensive rebounds per game, but, yeah. but stole the ball one point five times more? Like, do you think that that would be a positive outcome to a lot of to a lot of coaches and analytics people? That would be, and that's just outrageous to me. And again, <laughs> I'm making I'm making gross oversimplifications. Yeah, no, I like it, to, to, I'm making oversimplifications to some extent um, for the sake of conversation. But but again, I just like it is it is yeah. I I, I just still think rebounding is so underrated. Or, yeah, so underrated. And still, I look at Micah Hanlockton, who is a defensive liability in a lot of situations and an offensive liability in a lot of situations. And still he brings value just because of his offensive rebound. Um, and, and again, I think that that is like something that a lot of people who probably hear me again, talk about like the problems with his limitations offensively and the problems with his limitations defensively. And they're like, man, how does he like not, you know, dislike this player. And it's like, well, the, the offensive rebounding is, is just so impactful. Um, and uh, and it's even crazy because his defensive rebounding is isn't isn't even that good. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. So it's and and uh, yeah. It's something too. Like even Florida as a team, like something we haven't really talked about. I don't think gets talked about a lot is the fact that like the Gators don't turn the ball or like don't turn over their opponents very much. They're three hundred and tenth in the country in defensive turnover percentage. And and again, like to some people, that would be like, well, how can you be a you know how can you win win that way not turning over your opponent? Um, they're one hundred eighteenth in turnover percentage offensively, which is fine decent like again there's some people who look at those numbers and just say like hey that's not like if you're not turning your opponent over and you're only average at taking care of the ball like that's that's not a winning formula where like i would look at the rebounding column and say like that's that's a winning form formula and again i just think like when it when with with how the gators season has gone with some 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 limitations in obvious ways like the, the rebounding just covers it up in, in ways that getting a bunch of steals or being much better taking care of the ball just wouldn't it. So um, yeah, I, I, I would, that'd be my, so, you know, would I, would I like disagree with you saying Florida needs to take care of the ball? Like, no, I'd never be like, yeah, no, Florida needs to turn over the ball. more. <laughs> but, but to be honest with you, like I, I um, yeah, I don't even know how much it matters. Like people even on this podcast have heard me laugh about Walter Clayton throwing pick sixes, like seven games yeah. in a row. And, and I kind of just laughed at it. Like, again, like those are awful. And the percent, the the uh, point swing on those plays, giving going from a you know zero point nine eight points per possession half court possession to giving your opponent a wide open layup, like yeah, that's that's not good. But like, with is that enough to take Walter Clayton off the floor? Like absolutely not. Even if he does that one point a game or one time a game, he still was bringing value. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's it was really interesting to me um, going back to. Uh, uh, the the conversation I had with Tyree Samuel just before Christmas when he was like, yeah, we didn't really talk about offensive rebounding, but before the season, um, yeah. we just kind of like, you know, just like we have a bunch of guys that 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 like it and we've had success with it. Um, but yeah, it has turned into um, arguably Florida's biggest, uh, like I think if you were to look at, y- you'd probably still say that the backcourt is, you know, for lack of a better term, Florida's identity. But if you wanted to argue, it's just hammering the glass. You could certainly uh, certainly do that as well. Yeah, no, I think you could. And I appreciate what you're saying on on turnovers. Um, you know, I think the other argument you could make is like three-point shooting percentage and offensive rebounding are kind of the mm-hmm. most important statistics in basketball right now. To that end, and to kind of put a bow on this topic, um, and Eric, will, this is not intended to ambush Eric because he actually ends up agreeing with Eric, and he kind of meets me and Eric in the middle. Um, but here's a quote from Bob McKillop. Bob McKillop 
on uh, modern basketball, which I thought are, you know, I don't usually do this, but I thought this was pretty interesting. And I know Coach McKillop is somebody that, that Eric and I really admire. Um, he said, yeah, the main thing with turnovers is it depends on how fast you play. We don't play terribly fast because we like to run a lot of half-court offense. So obviously we have to value our possessions a little more than somebody that gets up and down a lot. The biggest thing for me is you better protect the glass, meaning you better defensive rebound. You better get the other team's misses and you better have dudes that can shoot because if you don't have guys that can shoot, you need a lot of guys who can get your own misses and that's harder. Interesting stuff, I thought. Yeah, um, no, it's it's totally reasonable. One of the best coaches of all time. Yeah, and someone who was definitely aware of, of the style of play and always you could tell with the way that he recruited to it. Uh, uh, they knew exactly what they were doing and, and yeah, played played methodically and, and ran a bunch of actions. And, um, yeah, if you're playing, again, if you're playing slower, there is more variance. If you're if there's a less possession game, lower possession game, there is um, less variance. So, um, especially, and if you're, if you're a team that you know does want to shoot a lot of threes, um, you're going to have colder kind of games. So like the mix of like a lot of threes and, and, and lower possessions, like that's the mix for how lower teams, lower rated teams upset teams in March. So I could see a team, a situation like him where he's like, okay, like we're going to shoot a lot of threes. We can't a, a, in a low possession game, we can't lose um, the possession battle and, and have the other team have, you know, seven or eight possessions more than us that, that make up for um, the, uh, the three-point variant. So uh, again, with Florida, who does not shoot a lot of threes and 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 plays fast, right? It's just like one of those things where, like, yeah, they they play at the pace they do, um, and then they uh, are are able to just get you know control the glass and get a bunch of extra possessions, and then suddenly the turnovers don't matter as much. And and again, I do think that's why you've like what. And again, there's several things that have gone into this, but you know when you look at how the Gators not lost a a bad game or like you know didn't yeah don't you know everyone knows the stat they haven't lost a game in the bottom three quads unless that's changed overnight with the net rankings adjusting for whatever reason we know it certainly hasn't been three or four um it's it's like one of the things is that like they don't shoot a lot of threes so therefore there isn't a lot of variance for some of these teams to to come in and upset them so um and and again that's going to be one of the great conversations and almost one of the things i wanted to ask you about on a little bit more of a grander scale and we can continue to just weave in and out of talking about the Missouri game and grander, but like um, as you continue to see media, both local and nationals talking about Florida as a sneaky final four team or yeah. a second weekend team. Um, I, you know, what is, what is, what is your reaction to that? Especially when the strength of Florida's resume is not necessarily beat the caliber of team that gets you to a final four or an elite eight. It's the kind of resume that suggests there's no way the Gators could lot could lose a, a five 12 game. You know, like what, what is your, what is your kind of reaction to the, to the growing buzz that, you know, Florida was not talked about for a long time. And I, I've, always, I've mentioned on this podcast for years, Florida is not nationally relevant. They don't get talked about nationally. Um, and then now you're, it, it is kind of spun to like, um, not that the Gators are leading national news, um, even in the, the like national college basketball news, but uh, there's definitely buzz of like, oh yeah, this looks like a you know maybe a second weekend team. Or there's been plenty of people who said this is a sneaky Final Four team. Yeah, man. I mean, I uh, so two things. One um, plug for the 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 uh, podcast Twitter because I think like the genuine nat like there were national writers that that saw the tweet I sent last night and I forgot Kansas and I apologize for forgetting Kansas. Um, I actually typed Kansas and then decided to include Gonzaga in the tweet. And like, you know, like sometimes you're just doing something you're like, let me erase this. And I forgot to read. Um, but so here are the programs of 2021 20, seasons um, this century, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Gonzaga, Florida. And like there were national writers that were like, what? That's crazy. And it's like, well, that's how long it's been since Florida was kind of a trendy topic du jour in the national conversation. Um, that was kind of my reaction to the reaction. It wasn't that, like, people were stunned that Florida's good, right? You know, when UConn made their run last year, it had been a few years since UConn was really, really good. And people were like, oh, man, well, UConn gets into the tournament. They just find a way to win games in the tournament. And, like, that's very true. 
it looks like Dan Hurley has it has it rolling now. Of course, they, you know, I think are the favorites to to repeat. Is I think they're the favorites to win the national title. Um, I think they have the best team. I think they're the hardest to guard. Uh, so you get, you know, you can understand that. Um, it is interesting. It's interesting to see how out of the imagination Florida had become, despite like the fact that Mike White was at least winning 20 games every year, pretty much all the time. Um, you know, so that to me uh, was a little interesting. And I use that to answer your question more broadly, uh, which is that my reaction to it is like, hey, I'll tell you a little more after Saturday um, because I want to see Florida compete against a really good, tough team that plays a different style on the road. Cause sometimes styles make fights, not sometimes I think styles make fights pretty much all the time in the NCAA tournament. Um, but I also think, you know, yeah, I mean the final four thing I chuckle at a little bit because I don't see Florida playing four times in a row, really, really, really good against high level competition. Um, I just don't. But like the Sweet 16 chatter, I really do buy into because I kind of feel like, to your point, Eric, I don't think Florida, like I think when John Gassaway does that like giant killers thing every year, and like my guess is Florida will have a very good giant killer score. Like they are not going to be terribly vulnerable if they're a five or a six um, because of their ability to dominate on the glass and because of the fact that, you know, they don't turn the ball over a lot, to be honest. So in a lower variance game, not as big a deal. Uh, but, you know, I, do I think Florida can win a round of 32 game playing great one time? Absolutely, I think that, um, especially on a neutral floor. I mean, so, you know, I, I think Florida would be a safer type of six or five to go to the Sweet 16. But, like, winning that regional semifinal game for Florida, I think, might be pretty darn difficult. Yeah, it's like I, – I, I hate to do this because I don't want to be the one who just, like, pours cold water on on, on things because it's it's great that the Gators are are, are, are playing really well um, on a good streak here that, you know, being in an overtime on, on the road with, with Alabama. But, like, that from, from, like, really getting – like, if Florida wins that game, then it's probably like, oh, so they're, they're starting to, to lead some of these – national podcasts and getting more conversation and in the national media but it's it's just one of those things where it's like it's almost like oh this is a second weekend team and that's like kind of accepted and then when people are saying oh this could be a final four team people are like yeah you know like i i, I see it and like i i also don't want to be the person who like just looks at the numbers but it is like crazy to me to an extent that it's just kind of accepted that this should be like a, a sweet 16-ish team and like final four is another question for a team that's like never gotten higher than like 26th in Ken Palm. Right. Like again, I, I I've looked at like some of the Kentucky buzz recently of people are saying that they could be a final four team. And I personally disagree with it. I, I, I will not be buying stock in, in them being a final four team unless, you know, let's see what happens when we look at the brackets and we'll see how matchups shake out, which will also be the case for Florida, of course. But like, you look at Kentucky and I can at least say, okay, this is a team that was like, got all the way up to 12, dropped to the twenties, got up to 14, dropped, got it. Now they're up to like 17 in, in, in Ken Palm and uh, the, the metrics. And you can at least see some of the ceiling of there where like, I, I still just don't feel like Florida has shown any ceiling. And, and I feel like the strength of um, Florida's resume being that they, or not even their resume, even just, the strength of this team being that they don't really lose bad games. Like there's, there is value in that for sure. I just don't know if I see the ceiling. And I think even when you look at the, 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 the big wins, um, having the week to prepare for Auburn beating Kentucky when Kentucky just was in a dog fight where they barely won over Arkansas, who was horrendous at the time. And we have learned is horrendous and they lost by 17 to South Carolina and got beat pretty bad by Tennessee. And right in the middle of that stretch was Florida catching them in overtime in a close game. So like, again, I'm not trying to just like poke holes, poke holes, poke holes, but like, again, like this is why style of play matters so much because I like the fact that there are so many people buying into this team when I, I, I don't think there's actually a lot, the level of meat there is, is, is crazy. But at the same time, I will say, and we'll tie it back to what we just talked about. I do think that their style of play at least gives them an, 
an, an opportunity when you've got the or the roster build when if another team goes a little bit cold against the Gators or you, the Gators find themselves in a rock fight kind of game and the NCAA tournament that 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 happens um you know want a rock fight kind of game like give me give me the team that's got you know two seven footers at all times so that can hammer the offensive glass and if the game is down to one possession in 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 the final minutes like probably give me Zion Pullen and, and Walter Clayton over over anyone in the backcourt so um again it's just like like I almost feel like if you were to tweet out from the show account right now this is a this is a round of 32 team you would probably get crucified by Florida fans um where like whereas so like which tells me a little bit about like okay we have decided collectively this is a sweet 16 team that in my opinion has never shown or I shouldn't say never, but has not shown sustained periods of being the one of the best 16 teams in the country. And right. I think you could use that. You could use any metric to defend that easily. And I think you could also start, you could also use, I'll say anecdotal evidence when you look at like, okay, they beat Auburn, but they had the week to prepare. They beat Kentucky, but Kentucky was awful for those two weeks. Um, and you, and, and the Gators just kind of, you know, cruise by them, just got by them. So, so again, like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been fascinating to see as well, because again, in this podcast's long and not illustrious history, we have, we have, we've seen <laughs> so, we've seen so little general optimism for this team locally and, and nationally. And now I'm seeing like Jay Williams on, on college game day with, with Florida as one of his final four picks. Like, you know, like I just like, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, world. But I do think going back to what you said, uh, it's it's like okay, the Gators played a week um, where they you know got to play a Missouri team that is, in my opinion, truly stunningly winless um, in the SEC. Again, yeah. I don't think they're very good. I I think they're better than zero wins. Um, yeah. Vanderbilt, who's Vanderbilt, then of course they had the the yeah. Alabama win, but then it was like, oh, they barely got by LSU. Um, who's not very good and barely got by Georgia, who's not very good. And it's just like, okay, so this is like a couple weeks of like not very good performances, but they got, they did get the wins they needed to didn't look great in doing so yet still perception is just rising, rising, rising. So, um, Hey, for the Gators to even get that benefit of the doubt, like if this happened two or three years ago, people would be like, Oh yeah, they beat Georgia. But like, do you see them almost blow that lead? Oh, they beat Georgia, but Georgia's terrible. And Oh, Florida only won by six. They didn't cover, or I'm guessing they didn't cover. I think Florida's favorite one more. I'm not, I don't, I don't bet on that kind of stuff though. I did see going back to what you were talking about betting. So like you see, it's just obviously so in it's, it's, it's tied to sports in so many ways. Um, I saw the other day, like a graphic of like final four teams from like one of the betting sites and uh Yukon was like negative odds to make a final four, which I don't know if that is regular. If that ha- like, cause again, I don't bet, but like that seemed crazy to me that, uh, um, that is how, you know, you're, when you were talking about UConn being a favorite, I, I think like the betting markets have shown very clearly that UConn is the favorite, but anyways, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's, uh, yeah, for Florida to be, um, suddenly getting respect is a, is a, is a departure from last year, from recent years. I'll tell you that much. And, um, while I, 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 I hate to be someone who maybe cold, pours a little bit of cold water in, in just my personal perception uh, of this team, it's also kind of nice to know that if Florida is a five or six seed, um, there's going to be very little stress in the first round. That is not to say they can't get upset. Anyone can get upset. Um, but uh, it's 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 just hard to imagine the Gators losing a game that they are fairly favored to win. And if you do that, you put yourself into a situation where you can steal a game. Have the Gators shown their ability to steal games against good teams this year? I would say no, they have not. But that doesn't mean that they can't. So um, you just want to chip in, chip in a chair. You just want to, you, you know, you want to have a seat at the table and the opportunity to do something like that. So um, yeah, it's. Uh, but I think we we will, you know, see that a little more more in with some of these. You know, I talked about LSU and Georgia and Vanderbilt and Missouri. Um, the Gators will get some more challenges that that we will we will get to. Um, I did want to ask you. You quickly teased it, and I wasn't even sure you wanted to talk about it. And. I don't even know if I want to talk about it, but like uh, Riley Kugel thoughts. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, you know, and, and to be clear to our folks, you know, yeah. I mean, I think Florida certainly can be a sweet 16 team. I'm not sure what, what their ceiling is really beyond that. Um, but around a 32 game for Florida as a mm-hmm. six or a five, depending on where they are, will be largely a toss up game. Um, I mean, it really will. 
based on where they're at in Kimpom, it'll be pretty close to a Kimpom coin flip on a neutral floor. Um, and I do think Florida has shown they can win coin flip games. Uh, hence, you know, until yesterday, I guess they were unbeaten in quads two through four. I think they're one spot away now with Ole Miss at like 76th. Um, you know, and, and so that they could end up being perfect in, in that regard. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you. Uh, it is interesting. I mean, there aren't a ton of teams in like the top 30 of the net, which Florida's just on the outside of. They've been inside it. They've been outside it. That have like losing records against quad one and one and two. And like Florida is one of them. Like Auburn is another one where Eric and I both think Auburn is a little fraudulent, even though they're like seventh in the net. They're seven and eight against quad one and two or whatever. Uh, I think something, something very close to that. Um, you know, and then there's teams like Missouri who have lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in the sec by seven points or less. <laughs> like they pretty much the exact opposite of what they did last year um, where they won all those games this year, they lose all those games. So, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, Florida survived. Um, and to tie it back to Riley Kugel, I think Riley Kugel helped them survive. I thought his defense on Tamar Bates um, in particular was really, really good last night. Uh, I was glad that it was complimented by Todd Golden. Um, I thought that was super promising. I also think it's very concerning that he only played six minutes against Vanderbilt in a game that Florida led by 20 multiple times. Um and that when Florida put subs in at the end of the game, that couldn't handle the press. And so Florida got a little bit of a net and Kimpom deflator by blowing 10 points off their lead. Uh, it wasn't Riley Kugel in the game to help handle the press, which he can actually do. Um, look, there are some issues here. I think there are probably, well, I won't say probably, I'll say what I know. I'm told that it, it, there are practice inconsistencies, that he's not practicing well most of the time. I heard it was better this week, which is great. I heard he had a really good practice Tuesday, in fact. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, there are some problems from a practice standpoint. I also think that Todd is of a mind that turnovers really matter for Florida. And so I think when Riley Kugel comes in against Vanderbilt, and makes a nice reverse layup and finish at the rim, but then proceeds to take a fadeaway jumper with 21 seconds on the shot clock and then turn the ball over on his next possession. Um, I, I just don't think Todd feels like Florida has enough margin for air to waste possessions like that. Um, and so in some ways I respect the fact that he's not tolerating these mistakes in other ways, I'm a little torn, Eric. And I know this is me kind of trying to have both sides, but I really do see it both ways. And I, I'm sorry if, if that's wishy-washy, but on the other hand, Riley Kugel is an immensely talented guy who makes Florida better defensively. I think it's objectively a fact that Florida is better at defense when Riley's on the floor. I can support that with synergy numbers if y'all like. Um, and so I would, be trying to find ways to have him play through this mess and maybe, maybe having to play yesterday, which is really what happened. They weren't going to put Aberdeen out there cause he was getting cooked. So they put Kugel out there to guard. Um, you know, maybe that's a start, uh, but he has got to make good decisions with the basketball or Todd's going to sit him is kind of where I'm at. I mean, I, I, I could be wrong. But I, I thought that when Walter Clayton did foul out, and this is where I kind of wish that we had, you know, I could just like, we had a, we had, we, if we were streaming and had live, live chat for people to correct me if I'm wrong, but like when Walter Clayton um, did foul out, I thought that the first player that came in was Aberdeen. They did go to club. Aberdeen. That's so, what I said. He, which, he was which, cooked. which is like, you know, maybe notable, um, maybe not. Um, I think that, uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that like, I have to wonder after, you know, performance where he didn't, didn't play very much against a not very good team, like how much he was actually in the plans. Um, I also, am not sure if I'm like, I do think that Florida is better defensively with Kugel. I don't know if I really think Kugel is 
a tremendous defender. I think he's good. And uh, which on a team of not Agreed. great defenders is something, but I just, I just wonder, does, does it make up for the fact that he um, is, is, is hurting you offensively? Yep. And even it's just like when he, when he makes defensive errors, it's, you know, it's like, like again, against Missouri, like turning into turning into fouls. It wasn't just like, okay, like, Oh, I, I made a mistake. Now let's rotate out of it and make something happen. I, I feel like, again, just kind of um, the, the, the problem with the fact that he's probably, you know, just feeling, feeling the pressure a little bit. It's just like the, the mistakes are compounding into each other. And it's like, okay, he can like guard the ball really well, but off the ball, if there's a missed rotation, you just like, you, you, you see the, the hands go up or the shoulders slump. And uh, it's not like, okay, like let's, let's rotate out of it as much as Zion Pullen and Walter Clayton have had poor moments defensively. Um, I think they could, you know, maybe it's just because they know they're going to be out there no matter what they rotate out of things. Uh, Got to make it happen. And, and, and of course, like you said, uh, it's the, the, the shot selection offensively. Um, the, the, the one that came to mind perhaps even more than the, the, the fadeaway was that, that, that three he took from, from the right wing that as soon as it left his fingertips, he started sprinting because he knew it was so off and it, yeah. you know, bare, barely caught the the square on the back of the backboard to, to barely hit the rim. So um, it's just one of those things that um, if, if he was just out there trying to, trying to make things happen um, defensively, you maybe, and, and that was maybe even just like a, a, a role he was, he was embracing like someone who's embracing that role probably doesn't take those shots. And I can't imagine, and Hey, Hey, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And maybe the coaching staff is saying like, Hey, go out there and like find your offense. And to him, that means taking those kinds of shots. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was, was hurting them. And um, it was also interesting because I, I, like I was thinking the first time he got pulled in the first half, um, I kind of thought to myself, I was thinking about the podcast and I was, and again, I'm not saying this is the identical situation because this player in Riley Kugel is is more playable than the player I'm I'm about to mention. But there was a time in this podcast where we had to talk about Jalen Hudson every single game, um, a guy who had shown an incredible ability to make shots and create offense for the Gators, um, hit shots in big games, and then in his second year with the Gators, um, just slowly slash at a medium speed. Um, dropped off completely. And we had these moments of like in a very similar situation where he was put out, you know, he was starting then I was like, well, there's no way he can start this guy. Then he came off the bench and it was like, okay, well, we'll see if he, he finds it and starts making shots. And then he couldn't. And then it was just one of those things where I feel like we were talking about it every single podcast and he was getting six minutes a game. And we were, it just became a thing. Like at some point we had to be like, okay, this guy's just not really in the plans. He's functionally the 10th or 11th guy. And in the first half, I kind of had that, that, that moment thinking to myself, okay, if we're at a situation um, where Riley Kugel is someone who is is not trusted um, against Vanderbilt, not trusted against Alabama, which tells you two things. When you're not trusted in big games and you're not trusted against in, in bad games, what does that say? And then I kind of thought we were destined for another situation where he was not trusted against a bad team in Missouri. And then he gets you know pushed into service because of a Walter Clayton foul by like, I almost kind of had that thought of like, do we even talk about Riley Kugel anymore? Like, and I, I'm, that might sound disrespectful, but I almost wonder if it's more respectful than to talk every game about like, well, that was the bad turnover he had. Oh, that was the bad foul he committed because he messed up on defense. Oh, these are the bad shots he took. Like, it's almost one of those things that like, are we approaching Jalen Hudson territory where um, you just treat it as, as what it is? He's someone who might be a, like, like, I, I guess I'll ask you do, you, do you think he was destined for another six minute performance tonight? Um, if not for Walter Clayton falling out. And if so, maybe this is a guy that like we've had to talk about on each podcast where I had Carol on to, to cover the other, the other day for a great podcast. I had to ask him like right yeah. now, like it has been one of those things we have to talk about. I, I almost just wonder, is this something we don't have to talk about until he has another, you know, big game or maybe not even that until he, you know, shows he's a regular part of the team. Because like at this point, it's like, do we talk about Denzel Aberdeen every game? No. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I like, and, and, that's a guy who was putting putting the game before Riley Kugel. So yeah, I don't know. I just I just I just wonder um, where we're at and if it's a respectful thing to even be talking about him every single podcast or 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 what people think. Yeah, I mean, I know I know Chris Harry follows and covers the team as well as as anybody, um, you know, and and he was tweeting about Aberdeen coming in um, as if it wasn't surprising. Mm. You know, um, which I thought was kind of instructive. 
And then, yeah, I mean, Denzel got cooked, so they brought Riley in. I thought he got beat once on, like, a really nice backdoor cut um, where he just stunted a little too far. Um, but that's going to happen. I mean, sometimes that's that's just good offense. He, he nearly recovered. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, like, I think to some extent, overanalyzing every play Riley Kugel makes is unfair to Kugel. And, like, I don't think it was going to be six minutes, like, because they did put him back in you know, anyway, before Clayton fouled out. So I thought he was, he had clearly earned a couple more minutes in practice or he had done something in the minutes that he did play that Todd Golden liked. Um, even if there was that terrible three where he went, you know, around the screen instead of driving it and then <laughs> to shot the ball and it hit the backboard. Um, you know, he made a nice cut, for example, he made a really nice pass. Uh, so, but here I am, like, I'm identifying every single play to your point. So I think like, yeah, I mean, overanalyzing it at this point, it, it kind of is a Jalen Hudson S situation. Um, and I'm sure Florida would love to have, you know, something different. Uh, you know, they'd like to, we'd like to, we'd all like to be talking about the guy that was instrumental in Florida blowing Auburn off the floor a few weeks ago, but uh, it hasn't been that since really. <sighs> Yeah. So like, uh, again, I think, and this is probably, um, unless you have anything more to say on, on, uh, the South Carolina game, um, maybe the transition is, is, uh, is the fact yeah. that, uh, uh, the Gators do have a little bit more of a challenge these next two games. And, and while it's like, while we can try to extrapolate, Oh, what does it mean when a guy, um, plays six minutes against Vanderbilt and Denzel Aberdeen's, um, gets, gets in the, on the floor ahead of him against Missouri. Um, I, I think it just, it's who, who you really trust is, is, is shown in, in, in big games and luckily for the Gators because of, uh, um, continuing to avoid bad losses. Um, they're in a situation where they can play South Carolina on the road. And if they were to lose, it would not be super detrimental by it by any means. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is a situation where, you know, I still do think like at some point the Gators are going to really go, you know, you play a team like South Carolina on the road, you're probably playing who you trust. We'll start to, you know, learn a little bit more about Kugel there, but, uh, uh, this is another opportunity for the Gators to, um, get a resume win in a game that I think before the season we would have thought would, uh, would have no resume value, but that has not been the case for the, um, the very surprising South Carolina Gamecocks who were picked to finish last in the SEC, um, Lamont Paris respectfully said um, he thought that it was pretty disrespectful to be um, ranked there. And I remember at the time saying like, uh, you know, I understand what he's saying, but uh, um, I think it was, was justified for, for people who had them there. And uh, yeah, just, just an incredible story, incredible uh, coaching and uh, incredible by these players to come together um, and uh, be in a situation where they are favored to beat the Gators in, in, in late um, it, or, yeah, sorry, early, early March. Um, but uh, at least according to Kempom. Yeah, man, just an amazing coaching job. Um, I started working on my Basketball Writers Association ballot yesterday and uh, was really torn between Lamont Paris or Kyle Smith for National mm -hmm. Coach of the Year. Um, and so haven't actually decided uh, who I think should be national coach of the year. Uh, Dan Hurley, I think deserves uh, consideration too. I, and I hope that people don't think that's a hot take. I just think it's hard to coach a team after you've won a national title as well as, and as well as they've played, uh, you know, he should be considered, but Lamont, they did a good job building a roster that <clears throat> um, is different than some of the sec. I think the stylistic differences have made them challenging to play. Um, they have some swing principles that he brought from Wisconsin and their offense that you'll see it. They post up all their guys. Um, they're a good post-up team. Uh, they are a very good straight line drive team with two of their drivers. Uh, Michi Johnson, I think, is is really, really good at it. We, we already knew that about him. Um, but I do think uh, increasingly – uh, it's something that Talon Cooper has developed in his game. Um, so they're very good at commanding help. And what I mean by that, is, so our listeners know, is I think, and this has been a problem for Florida at times this year, is, is overhelping, um, which results in open shooters. And South Carolina gets a lot of baskets that way because 
you know, what happens is Michi Johnson or Talon Cooper get downhill on a drive, increasingly Colin Murray Boyles, who I, I want to hear Eric talk about him. I think he, he if Rob Dillingham and Reed Shepard didn't exist, he'd be SEC freshman of the year and it wouldn't be close. Um, and uh, they will get him downhill too. And what happens is is you'll draw help defense. And then with help and Florida's two bigs, you kind of have like a rim protector, a helper, and the guy on the ball. And suddenly there's three guys on the ball. Well, what happens when there's three guys on the ball? <laughs> Somebody is open. Um, and, you know, that in that swing offense is, is a very effective way to get good shots. And South Carolina gets good shots. They don't make a ton of them. Um, either from beyond the arc or their mid-range game, but they do uh, get really good shots and they generate them very patiently. And we've seen Florida struggle with, with slow tempo. They control tempo. They're 354th in tempo. It's very much Virginia-esque in terms of the way they impose their will on a game. And I just think it's, it's super impressive. And I haven't even started to talk about their defense because honestly, to me, um, I think the key to this game in a lot of ways is like, is Florida just ready to handle straight line drivers and prevent South Carolina from getting easy twos? Yeah, I think that uh, um, one of the most interesting players to me um, is BJ Mack, um, who people might remember the name of, because we probably talked about him on the show. Florida had contacted him and, and had interest um ultimately goes to South Carolina. And that was a player that I personally did not like for the Gators. He's six foot eight. He's 270 pounds, um, came from Wofford. Um, and he is just like as pure of a post-up player as it, as it gets, doesn't, uh, doesn't bring a lot else offensively. Um, is not a great defender because he's six, eight and 270 pounds. Um, but he can really score in, in post-up situations. And I kind of thought, well, I don't see the Gators as a back to the basket post-up team. So I didn't think it was a good fit for the Gators. He goes to South Carolina. They are posting up more than just about everyone in the country and playing through him that way. And it's just one of those things that, that shows that like fit is, is so important. I, I truly believe if he went to the Gators, it would not be a very good marriage. Um, but it is perfect in South Carolina. And I think that, um, you know, you mentioned like, that's one thing that's so hard about coaching awards. And I'm not even sure where I personally land on it. I I, I do think it should fluctuate, but like traditionally coaching awards have gone to, okay, who has done the most with the least, Um, which is cool in some situations, because I think that this South Carolina situation is miraculous and i think the coaching has been incredible but it's also like you said it's very difficult to like build teams that are favored to win um the national championship after winning a national championship um this sounds like a you thing to say but i i i so you can you should correct me because i bet you know but like didn't billy donovan never win an sec coach of the year is that i think i i've heard that before or something something he did not win one he did not win one until the florida team that went 21 and 0 in the sec Okay, so like where you could probably say, okay, you know, was he really not the best, the best coach in a couple of years, years prior? Like, uh, so, <laughs> right. so I, so I, I yeah, I, I kind of understand. Like, I think there's, there's a couple of media people who are like, like Kelvin Sampson should be coach of the year or, you know, Dan Hurley and like Bill Self should be coach of the year every year. And, and to be honest, I like, I understand that, but I think that there is situations like this where you just look at like the constraints that South Carolina has and the way that they got players that, to be honest, I don't think they necessarily, like, they did not, like, no one would say they hit a home run in the portal, but they have guys like BJ Mack in just absolutely perfect scenarios, using them in in in, in perfect roles. And I think that's miraculous. And, um, you know, I mentioned that I thought with talking about Missouri before the last game, that I thought last year Missouri was fraudulent. And to be honest, I kind of meant that in a positive sense. Like I use fraud in two ways. And I know most people just use it as a, in college basketball and just purely derogatory. Um, To be honest, when I use fraud, sometimes I think I actually, I I mean this, I'm not even joking. I mean, it is a genuine compliment because it's more like these guys are not actually that good yet. They're getting the best out of their talent. And it's almost, I use it. So I use it kind of like jokingly as a compliment. And like you look at South Carolina where they're 23 and five, they're doing very well in the SEC. Um, they're looking like they're locked up for a pretty good seat. 
and they are 46th in Ken Palm. They're 56th in defense and 40 or 56th offense, 43rd in defense. Like their numbers are not great, but they're just winning games. And uh, so it's, it's one of those things that like, again, if someone wanted to say, Hey, this is a team that's 46th in Ken Palm. I don't think they're that good. Their, their numbers are, are, are not great on either side of the floor. They're just okay. Like, is this team even that good? I would, I would honestly say, no, I, I don't think they're that good. I think right. Lamont Paris and the coaching staff has milked every bit of talent and ability out of this group um, to, to get a winning formula. So um, yeah, I do think it's what, what they've done is, is tremendous. I think that they are playing well above their level of talent. And I don't, again, I don't say that to be disrespectful and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the, the players um, or, or anything like that, but yeah, sure. um, it just shows that like that's how well they're coming together. I mentioned BJ Mack. Um, Colin Murray Boyles, he's been outstanding as again, like a heavier six foot seven, kind of a little bit below the rim guy, which like again, just like you kind of see that that through line through their front court. You kind of like to see that that they've got players in a similar mold. Um, I will say I think Josh Hubbard from Mississippi State, who just had 30 whatever against Kentucky, that's probably my like best freshman in the SEC, other than that's fair future NBA player, but that's like fair. hey, but you can also look at um Hey, we're going to give we're going to give South Carolina a ton of credit for playing above their ability. Um, he's playing a huge role in it, so um, that's pretty big. Um, they do have, and I don't know Neil if you've heard an update, but potentially a fairly big injury. Um, there was uh, Miles Stute, who's uh, uh, he missed the last two games. He missed three earlier in the season. Um, of course, a very veteran SEC player who was one of the guys we always really liked at Vanderbilt. Now he's at South Carolina. I, I don't know what his status is, um, but I would say that is a fairly uh, that would be a fairly significant injury um, for them. But um, if we're going to look at you know important players, Neil touched on Michi Johnson. Um, we talked about BJ Mack and Colin Murray Boyles. Like Miles Stude is just like someone who like defensively has been such a huge important player for them. So um, I will uh, later be uh, googling his name to see if there's any updates. But uh, that could be a big loss for them if he's not available. Yeah, that uh, Coach Paris said it really is just going to depend on pain tolerance. They knew they were going to hold him out of the AM game. So mm-hmm. um, it's a sprained knee. So I don't think uh, they're going to need him in the NCAA tournament. So um, I think Florida has more at stake in this game, interestingly, than, than South Carolina does. I mean, for Florida, I think it's a seed line. Uh, if they can grab another quad one win, especially one on the road, um, you know, I wouldn't be stunned if, if he's held out. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's like straight line drive and then just cutting and like remembering your responsibilities defensively. Uh, you know, Texas A&M loses a back screener on the last play of the game. Uh, you know, like that's just bad. That's the kind of stuff that Florida has done at times. Um, and that's what I mean about, you know, I think Mark Wise says being patient defensively. And I don't like that, but I think like just like remaining, remembering that like, late in the shot clock, it's not a panic situation. Like you still have to defend the action. And um, especially with some of the stuff that they run, whether it's like flex cuts where there's a back screen or these little UCLA cuts that they run, which are really just two man games between like Talon Cooper and, and Mac, um, you know, those are just plays where you have to maintain discipline because they'll run them late in the shot clock. And, you know, you, you had you can't overhelp. You have to remember the cutter. You have to remember the screener. And so those are um, things that Florida hasn't always been awesome at. But if Florida can defend enough, I trust Florida to score enough to win um, in this game. I really do. Um, you know, and and they've lost the Gamecocks have lost twice at home this year to teams that aren't as good as Florida. Uh, they lost to Georgia at home. They lost to LSU at home. Um, so you know, while they've been very good at home, obviously they blew out Kentucky. Uh, in Rupp in a game, or not in Rupp, in 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 Colonial Life in a game that was not a fluke, all right? Uh, nor was their win over Tennessee a fluke. Uh, they just physically imposed their will on the volunteers in Thompson Bowling, um, and they controlled the tempo of the game. Uh, and I think to some extent there was some arrogance from Tennessee. They were like, fine, you want to play slow? We'll play slow. We'll grind you out. We've been doing that for years. And it's like, no, you know. So Florida needs to push when they get opportunities to push try to get out, get some points in transition. Um, and then for me, it's like, is sort of responsible enough defensively to win a game like this. This is a great test. Like I, th- okay. 
I will make one bold prediction, which I don't normally do on the podcast. I think Eric was talking to Brendan Carroll and and praising him for making predictions. I um, I actually respect that. I you you put yourself out there like, hey, I I I respect it. I feel like we don't do that a ton on this show. We just talk hoops. Florida's going to beat Alabama. They're going to beat them on senior night. I I think they might beat them bad. Um, Alabama's not great on the road. Again, they can't guard air. More evidence of that last night. <laughs> Plenty of evidence when they gave up 117 in 40 minutes at Rupp. Um, man, they don't guard anyone. Uh, and they're much, much better at home than they are away from home. And that's been the case all season and really the last two years of the NATO era. So Florida's going to win that game. Um, this is the one that that is interesting. And this is the one where, like, if Florida plays a team that's kind of methodical, you know, we talked about their kind of giant killer invincibility. And I think I think Florida will, could and should win its first round game because of some of their, you know, protections against, you know, giant killings, as ESPN calls them. But a second round game against a team that's super methodical and plays a very deliberate pace and tempo uh, and is good in late shot clock offense would be a matchup that I would be very worried about in the round of 32 for Florida. Prove me wrong Saturday. That's my take. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, and any predictions. It's not even like I necessarily like like don't want to. And there's 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 times we'll we'll throw it out, but uh, um, yeah, I, I just yeah totally when, when, with with Brandon Carroll like actually just like putting scores to every game. I think it's just uh, yeah, it's, it's tremendous, and, and I'm sure people appreciate that. So um, good for him for doing that kind of content. But uh, yeah, I uh, I would not necessarily share that same level of enthusiasm for. Um, for the Gators winning that one. So I, I do find that take to be somewhat somewhat bold. I think I'm a little bit higher on Alabama than uh, consensus. Uh, though, hey, there's a, there's definite reasons for what you said when you see them just get, you know, ran out by um, by, by Kentucky, ran out a couple times, and even the way that they, they played against Florida where it took a fairly miraculous uh, effort, I'll say, from Mark Sears. Um, to take things over after the Gators did a really good job on him for, for most, much of the game um, to, to win. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's, it's, it's super nice to not be stressing out about these, these late games. Like um, the last couple of years for the Gators have been approaching kind of this week as either like, Oh, like you need to win every single thing because you need to put yourself in a situation where you have to win one or two games in the sec tournament to make the dance. Um, or it was like the last couple of years where, um, these games were just completely inconsequential. So um, being in a situation where you're like, hey, this would be a nice win, maybe bump a seed. And if you lose, like, I don't know, maybe you go from like the 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 lowest five to the highest six, you know, like it's it's not a totally. you know, it's 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 nice to be in that situation. Um, you just hope that the Gators can 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 play a good game. And if they lose, um, you hope that they play well and and just be in a situation where they're positioning themselves to to continue to play uh, their best basketball. Um, at the biggest uh, moments of the season, um, so yeah, I'm I'm really interested for for this one. Um, I, it's it's fun to play a clash of styles uh, to watch one. Um, you know, we uh, will have to shout out former Gator legend Eddie Shannon, who who is on staff, and and uh, former podcast guest who who did come on the pod a couple of years ago. Um, he is at South Carolina, so while we talk about the the excellent coaching job um, that has happened in South Carolina, um, Eddie. Uh, has been a part of that. So, uh, you know, shout out to Eddie. Good to see him doing uh, good things. And I think even like Lamont Paris, I think it's very easy to cheer for um, mm -hmm. a lot of, lot of, lot of fans. Sure. And again, it's like with now hindsight being 2020, um, I would implore people, you should go, you should go look at the, uh, look at his quotes after he saw that his team was picked 14th. It was not like, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, media stupid media doesn't know what they're taught. Like, but it was, you yeah. know, it was calmly saying like, Hey, I think it was, um, I think it's disrespectful. Um, he said, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of like, to pick a team last, you either think their players are not very good or their coach is not very good. And he kind of like said, hey, I think our players are, are really good. So, uh, um, hey, like, uh, you know, fast forward, like to, to look at it now, um, it looks it looks amazing. So I would I would uh, I would I would hope if you have a moment, go search, search those up. Look at Lamont Paris's quotes from from early in the season when he saw the SEC rankings, and uh, um, yeah, pretty cool. But uh, yeah, should be should be an interesting one. If you are someone who is pro metrics or anti metrics, um, you play a team that's that's ranked, but in the 40s in Ken Palm, um, these are the kind of things you can start to uh, uh, you can you can you know stake your claim on either side and 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 see it see if you're right. But uh, 
yeah, that's uh, that's I think all I've all I've got on that one. Yeah, and I will say the other thing, Florida. You know, Florida's got this game, but Alabama. Uh, a quick turnaround for Alabama on Tuesday. It's another reason I think Florida will win, by the way. Alabama mm. has a huge game against Tennessee Saturday mm. and then has to travel to Gainesville to play on senior night in Gainesville on Tuesday. That's a tough turnaround for a team that that uh, has yet to defeat a team in the top 50 in Ken Palm on the road this year. Um, so we will see, you know, if Alabama can buck that trend and, and get their only uh, quality road win of the year. Uh, well, I guess they beat Ole Miss last night, but beyond that, um, you know, been a tough go for them on the road uh, and, and been blown out a couple times. So I feel I feel good about my rare bowl prediction on the show. I'd love to see Florida win both these games and really, um, for one, I think if Florida wins this game, they'll get very close to securing a double bye at the SEC tournament, which would be massive. Um, but, you know, there's still the outside chance that they win the conference title because uh, Alabama and Tennessee play Saturday. And I think Tennessee has Kentucky left as well. Let me make sure I'm right about that. They do. So there's always the chance that, you know, 13 and five is sufficient to win the conference championship. If it isn't, you know, I think we can all regret the way that the Texas A&M game in college station ended uh, and the fact that, Buzz Williams, who I think has done the worst coaching job in the SEC this season, uh, decided to play Boots Radford less than 24 hours after he was arrested on felony charges, and, and Florida blew a 13-point lead. So those are my hot, hot, sizzling takes that you'll need oven mitts for if you've stayed 65 minutes into this podcast. Yeah, my, my last thing is is something I, like, again, just looking at Ken Palm at the projected records. Um, so right now it's like Tennessee – um, is projected to finish 14 and four, Alabama 14 and four, Auburn 13 and five, and then South Carolina, Kentucky, and Florida at 12 and six. So that would be, you know, just because you mentioned 13 and five, um, 12 and six is somewhat of a uh, possibility. Obviously, it's what's projected. Um, so it would just be interesting if, if four, five, and six are at 12 and six. Um, we will get into some interesting tiebreak situations of which I do not currently know. But uh, yeah, it could it could get it could make for some some funny tiebreak situations in really? seeds that matter because of the double buy, um, as Neil mentioned, and just of course about like where you sit in the bracket and what teams you might or might not want to face. So um, that is also just something to watch. Um, just if you're someone who maybe just watches Florida, um, but, uh, be sure to like just keep an eye on 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 both standings mm-hmm. and scores because yeah, we could get into some very fun tiebreak scenarios that could make things messy. I was muted. I, uh, no doubt, uh, Eric is absolutely right. Pay attention to that. Should be a fun one on Saturday in Columbia. Come say hi. I'll be there uh, in person to check that one out and uh, say hi to Coach Shannon and, and some of those dudes as well. So it should be a good time. Should be a really entertaining basketball game. And um, go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts. I think I did that backwards. <laughs>